are going to be in chapter 2 of Ruth. So if you've uh, got your copy of God's Word, it's right after the book of Judges and before 1 Samuel. We talked a little bit about the background uh, of Ruth in the time period last week. Uh, just as a order of uh, setting the record straight, um, I know, just so you know, when I mentioned last week uh, that, you know, if you're going to... Um, which actually most men, how many dads of daughters are in the room? Dads of daughters. If you got a daughter, right? Remember that whole thing like a few years ago? Like, you know, it was like the, the hashtag and everything, like dads of daughters, right? So I, I, I made the mention that, you know, basically, I wasn't just meaning my daughters. I have two daughters, so I think I can speak to this. That one of the prerequisites is that I want to see your bank account. I'm not going to actually honestly... I don't know, I don't know, in talking to Denny, that might not be a bad idea, actually. The point was to make sure you're being faithful and that you don't own a snowmobile and have never stepped foot in snow or a ski mobile, I mean, a, 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 yeah, a ski mobile or whatever those things, jet ski, and you've never, you're scared of water. I mean, just that you're being wise and you're not being foolish. All of that was part of just the, the premise there. But just in case there were any misunderstandings and I'll either dig deeper or I'll, or I'll, whatever. Uh, we'll, we'll see this through here today. So anyway, uh, we learned last week a little bit uh, about Ruth. Ruth has, uh, Ruth is from Moab and Ruth comes in the picture because Elimelech decides to move his family. He takes his wife, Naomi, uh, his sons, uh, Malon and Kilion, you know, good Klinglong names. Star Trek fans in the audience. And they moved to Moab. But the problem was, Elimelech had not sought the Lord. He literally moves his family to, the, to, the, uh, to a land that he had been specifically told not to. Uh, as the children of Israel, they've been told not to go to Moab, not to intermarry uh, with the Moabites or the Ammonites or, or any of the, the, the Canaanites had been in the land. Uh, when they entered, and he had not sought out God's wisdom, God's guidance. It wasn't that he moved. Moving was not an issue. It was where he moved to, and because he moved there, his sons ultimately marry uh, these Moabite uh, women. One is Ruth. The other is Orpah, but they are introduced to uh, foreign gods. Moabites worshipped a foreign god uh, called Shemosh, and uh, it was it was literally like its nickname was the destroyer. Like that's the god you want to be worshiping, the destroyer. Um, and so while they're there, uh, the two sons marry, and just that Eliminac was a very poor father. Uh, he did not lead his family well. And even through that, though, we see God's sovereign hand, uh, God's sovereign grace, continually throughout the entire book of Ruth because the book of Ruth is not actually about Ruth it is a uh, it is a great love story it's a, a beautiful love story but the true love story in it all is is God's love for you and I and it's God's sovereign work even in the midst of a very unfaithful uh, father how he will save out of Moab Ruth and as we get into the, uh, the next few chapters, we'll learn more about Ruth. And we'll see really what will be a complete contrast uh, to Ruth in the person of Boaz. Uh, Boaz is going to be introduced today. And Boaz uh, is literally a, a kinsman redeemer. He is a, uh, like a Christ figure. 
Uh, he is going to show us today what a godly man looks like, how, how we as men of God should lead, uh, how we should care, uh, how we should uh, look out for others. Uh, we're going to see a lot of uh, very uh, powerful reminders of that today. So if you are uh, able to, I know you're up and down a lot, but that's okay. It's a good thing. We, wanna, we want to be as uh, uh, reverent to God's word as we can. So if you're able to even stand, I'm going to read through Ruth 2. It's a long chapter. Uh, wait till we get to Psalm 150. When <laughs> That'll be like a 10 minute. Ruth chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. That word favor there, I want you to keep in mind, is the same word we have for grace. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Boaz means strong or strength, a true man's name there, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young woman, young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an epaw of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked, and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. 
Naomi said to her, The man is a close relative of heirs, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for this sacred text that we see your sovereign hand and that, God, you are provident over all matters, that there is nothing beyond you, and that even through this great love story, we see your mighty hand at work as you draw Ruth to yourself, as you are at work even today, drawing hearts and minds to yourself unto salvation in Jesus Christ alone. So, Father, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So we see a pretty, pretty vast uh, difference between Boaz and Elimelech. Elimelech was not faithful, uh, placed his family in a very, uh, very bad situation by taking them to a foreign land that they had been forbidden. Whereas Boaz is really the epitome of faithfulness. Interestingly enough, we obviously didn't read it last week, but as you get into this week, we notice that Elimelech was, uh, that Boaz is of the clan of Elimelech. They are relatives. So not only did Elimelech not trust the Lord, he didn't even talk to his own family. Uh, we know from Scripture in that very first verse that it says, Naomi had a relative of her husband, so he was on her husband's side, who was a worthy man. And if you read it in the NSB and other translations, it may even say a wealthy man. He was a man of great means. So here is a man that probably could have also been a great help. But Elimelech had taken matters into his own hands. We know from Scripture there was a famine in the land, and so Elimelech was, was trying to provide for his family. But even in the midst of providing for them, he, he led them astray. He placed them in a situation uh, that uh, was not good for them. As a matter of fact, was, was was very much against the God of Israel. But here, Boaz is going to uh, show us a great picture of faithfulness. He is a model of justice. He is literally a picture of Christ. He is a little R redeemer, as we see latter part of this passage. He is a kinsman redeemer. Uh, God will use him uh, in the life of Ruth in a powerful way, and to the point where, as we saw last week in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, that Ruth is listed in the genealogy of Jesus. She is the great-great-grandmother of King David, either great or great-grandmother. Uh, you can look it up. I'm pulling it from my head. So she is listed in the very genealogy. When we see Boaz, we see uh, a person who is showing great grace. He is modeling the grace that Jesus himself will extend to all those who place their faith in Christ alone. We are reminded that it is through grace that we have been brought salvation. And grace is what strengthens us and empowers us to live and to love in this broken world. And we will see that played out, particularly over the next few weeks as we go through this passage. Now, Ruth, if you were to consider it at this time, she has gone back with Naomi to Bethlehem. Uh, she is a widow. She is a Moabite. So, you know, her, her dating app profile was not one that was going to stand out to a lot of good Christian men. 
All right. I mean, I've been worshiping foreign gods the predominant part of my life. I'm unemployed. Um, I don't have any money. I mean, just the kind that you would think I'm going to check that box. Right. Put that one in the put that one in the keeper file. Right. She did not have anything that would have uh, jumped off the page. She was new to town. Not a lot is known of her uh, past as a Moabite, but we will see her faithfulness and we will see that Boaz will take a special uh, liking to her. So the first thing we want to look at this morning though is God's providence. As we saw last week, we saw God's sovereign hand uh, that even though they had moved, God is going to bring Naomi and Ruth back to Bethlehem even though they should have never left. Augustine says this, that trust the past to God's mercy the present to God's love, and the future to God's providence. God is in control all the time. There is nothing beyond his ability. Nothing is beyond his knowledge. He is, he is not uh, restricted to time and space. Remember that God starts with the end already being written. You, you and I's story, they're already written. God has been at work and will continue to be at work. So as he goes about here, uh, Ruth is going to go to Naomi and say, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain. She is going to be willing to step out. She is not waiting for a government handout. She is not waiting for someone to come along. She is trusting the Lord will provide, but she is putting action steps to it. She is saying, I will go to the field and I will glean whatever I can from the barley harvest so that we will have something to eat. Her and Naomi, they do not have food. So she is willing to go and do whatever needs to be done. Now, as she goes, she even mentions that in after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And again, that's the same Greek, the same root word we have for grace. So Naomi tells her to go. So notice that she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. This is where we see God's providence. Notice it says in verse three, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz just so happened that she ends up in the field of a very uh, well-respected, uh, very well-to-do, uh, godly man who just happens to be single, who just happens to be uh, very kind and gracious. All of this just happened. No, God had orchestrated every one of these Situations And God does that when we don't get in his way. You see, we like to be the ones who make the decisions or call the shots rather than trusting God that in God's timing, God will bring forth exactly what God knows we need. Not what we want, but what we need. When God decides that it is time for you and I to marry, then God, if we are faithful, will orchestrate those steps. And he will use our own, uh, he will use the decisions that we made that may not even have anything to do with God, but God's above that. And God will even use those to ultimately bring you to the exact time and place that he would have you. Divine providence is uh, defined as this. Divine providence is the governance of God by which he, 
with wisdom and love, cares for and directs all things in the universe. The doctrine of divine providence asserts that God is in complete control of all things at all times. He is sovereign over the universe as a whole. Psalm 103 says, The Lord has established His throne in the heavens and His kingdom rules over all. He is uh, provident over the physical world. There is not a single natural disaster that occurs without God's knowledge and approval. Even He controls the, the rains and all that comes. He is, in, he is provident over the affairs of nations. God will use what God desires to use at the appropriate time. God used Nebuchadnezzar to be a tool in his hand to draw back his people to himself. Nebuchadnezzar did not just decide that he, along with the Babylonians, would, would go and wreak havoc. No, God orchestrated that move, and he had even sent prophets telling the people, this is what's going to happen if you don't do this. If we are faithful, God is just. He is provident over our destiny. He is provident over our successes and failures, and he is provident over the protection of his people. This doctrine, it says, stands in direct opposition to the idea that the universe is governed by chance or fate. There is no such thing as dumb luck. You remember the old hee-haw song? If there, won't no, if there wasn't such things as, as bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Did y'all know Russell was in the band back then? Did y'all know that? He's back here off of knee surgery, so I, I, got, I got to call him out. There is no such thing as luck at all. There is no such thing as chance. There's no such thing as happenstance. It is all God at work. Ruth did not end up in this field just because she did. No, God had ordered these steps. Jerry Bridges says that God's providence is his constant care for and his absolute rule over all his creation for his own glory and the good of his people. Sinclair Ferguson says that the providence of God is the way in which he governs everything wisely. First, for the glory of his own name, and second, for the ultimate blessing of his children. We see God providentially placing Ruth in this place, in this time, just so it would happen that guess who shows up? Boaz. Boaz is a wealthy man. Boaz has many fields. But yet this field where Ruth has been gleaning along the edges of the field is where Boaz will show up and we'll, be, uh, and we'll start this conversation with Ruth. But further seeing his providence, in Isaiah 46, it says, Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God, there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. So we see his providence at work. That's what happened in 
the mid-1600s when Roger Williams was kicked out of the Massachusetts Bay Colony, if you uh, recall, as he would ultimately go uh, because he wanted to see a full separation of church and state. He did not believe the Church of England, which many of the Puritans were still under the Church of England. If you remember, the Puritans were trying to purify the Church of England. They did not try to break free. The pilgrims were the ones who actually were the separatists and said, no, we're not going to be able to do this. So Roger Williams, upon deciding that that was the direction God was leading him, would ultimately go, and, and he believed that God gave him the land that we know of today as Providence, Rhode Island. It is named because of Roger Williams' commitment to God and the Lord and his faithfulness. And you can go to the first Baptist Church of America in Providence, Rhode Island. There was, it is like the first, it ain't like just first Baptist of whatever, it is the first Baptist of America. Beautiful, beautiful church there in Providence. But we see God at work continually. But the second thing we see here is God's provision. Why did Elimelech take his family and move to Beverly? Because there's gold in them there hills. No, that's not why. Because there was a famine in the land. And he thought he knew best. He thought he was going to take his family and he was going to provide for them. But no, God had it all already organized. God was at work. And so we, back in the early part of, first, of the first chapter, we see that uh, after Elimelech and Malon and Kilion have died, uh, that there's a word that comes that uh, the harvest is coming in in Bethlehem. Oh, imagine that. That God is going to bring forth uh, this harvest. So her and her two daughter-in-laws start the track back. A 30 to 50 mile walk, as we said last week, that Imelech was not willing to make with his boys to find them uh, God-fearing wives. But they make the track, and the Orpah along the way will go back. And, and Naomi's not... You know, Naomi's complicit in this as well because Naomi literally tells her daughter-in-law Orpah to return to your gods. And so she was leading Orpah astray. But Ruth, because God's hand was upon her continually, it wasn't because Naomi was just begging and pleading. Remember, Naomi tried multiple times to say, go back. And she said, I'm a bitter old woman at this point. You don't need to be with me. You can be, you'd be better off on your own. But because God's hand was in this, regardless of what Elimelech did, regardless of what Naomi did, regardless of any decision that any person made in this story, God is the hero, period end of the story but they are returning now to Bethlehem the harvest has come in uh, Ruth is going into these fields and we see here what happens because God had provided this great harvest uh, John Piper says this he says God is always doing 10,000 things in your life that but you may be aware of three of them amen God is always at work, and sometimes it takes weeks, it may take months, it may take years, it may take decades, that then you look back and you see where God's sovereign hand was all the time. But so often, he is working in spite of air efforts to work against him. God's supernatural provision has been throughout scriptures. As you go back into the Exodus, what happened as they are out in the desert? They are in need of food. So God provides them manna, for manna from heaven. Or as I like to say, those little Chick-fil-A uh, hash browns, right? You know, like if that was manna, you'd be okay. You could survive off that. 
It's not manna, so don't quote that. I'm just saying, but you think that would be, that would be okay. But he provided for them. They yet still longed for the food that they had left behind in Egypt. God was literally providing them bread from heaven, and he would only give them enough for each day because he wanted them to be completely dependent upon him. That he said, I will be your God and you will be my people. And he would provide for them. He would guide them. He would protect them. He would lead them. But they all wanted it their own way. Matthew in his gospel says in chapter 7, Of which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, he's speaking to us folks who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? We are to go to the Father in prayer. But the greatest gift that God has given us is the gospel, is the good news through Jesus Christ. This provision takes care of every single need we ultimately have. When we trust Christ, we are decisively securing within us the, the, the very best thing. Over 169 times throughout God's sacred word, we see God providing for his own. Not our wants, but our needs. God provides for us. Ruth and Naomi at least had some general knowledge to know that even in this time, there was, uh, there was this idea that the harvesters were to leave the edges of their fields for the poor, the, the widow, those that could not take care of themselves. We see in Deuteronomy how God had even set in motion ways to provide for them. He says, when you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterward. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and therefore I command you to do this. And then again, in Leviticus, we see, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. So as Ruth is going out in the fields and she is gathering in the harvest. She's gathering, uh, gathering in the sheaves. You, you know there was a song in her heart. You know she sang, bring it in the sheaves. You think she sang that? We shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. Amen. I looked in the hymnal. I didn't find in the hymnal. Arthur, can you do some? They've removed it from the hymnal. Anyway. But that's what she was doing. She was literally bringing in the sheaves. If you ever wonder what a sheave was, it's right there. Because I know when I was a kid growing up in church, I just didn't want to catch it. I didn't know what a sheaf was, but I didn't want to catch it. I don't want to get hold of it because I was really worried. What is a sheave? It doesn't sound like something, but it is a really good thing. It's part of the harvest. It's when God gathers in the harvest of all those who place their faith and trust in Christ. We will be part of that. So that's what a sheave is. All right. There's your uh, 
interesting lesson today. But God will always provide. Philippians 4.19 says this, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. God will provide. We see God's providence. We see his hand at work. We see God is providing. When we trust in the Lord, when we cry out to God, he will provide. And as we go through this passage, we will see further down in verse 11, after uh, Boaz comes, he is going to ask his young servant men, who, uh, who is this woman? Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge says that she is the young Moabite woman. Eight times throughout the book of Ruth, we will see her referenced as the young Moabite woman. Why is she continually referenced? Because it shows that she had nothing to do with how she got to where she was. It was because of God's sovereign hand. God brought Ruth to this place, and God is the one who will ultimately redeem her, much like you and I. You did nothing to come to your salvation. The only thing you contributed to your salvation was the what? The sin. Amen? You contributed the sin. That's what I contributed. God did all the work. God is the one who drew you. God is the one who sent forth his son. And they called him Jesus. What a great reminder. But she is this young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she had asked if she could come into the fields and, and glean and gather the sheaves. And notice it says she came and she continued and from early morning until now, except for a short rest. She is the epitome of, of that Proverbs 31 woman. She is a hardworking woman. I mean, that's hard work. That's not just a, an easy task. She is out there working in the, the, the day, in the heat, gathering in this harvest. But notice Boaz's response. Boaz said to her, my daughter... It's a term of endearment. He is, is showing her. He cares about her, even with his verbiage. He tells her, don't just glean in another field or leave this one, but that she is to stay close to his young women, the young women that he has already appointed to be in these fields gathering. He says, let your eyes be on the field that they're reaping and go after them. He says he's even charged his young servantmen not to touch her, not to bother her, but they are to also to protect her. And for him to make this statement in the latter part of verse 9, and when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. You understand how countercultural that was? First off, she's a Moabite. She's not a Jew. She's not a child. Uh, she's not part of the children of Israel. Secondly, she's a woman. She would have been considered a second, if not worse, uh, in, in, in the line. And yet, Boaz tells her to drink from the very vessels that the young men have drawn. Boaz is showing us the grace here in this passage that Christ has shown to us. And notice her response. Her response is, is one of worship. She fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said, Why have I found favor in your eyes? Why have you shown me grace? Have you ever had that time in your life that you just simply fell down and thanked the Lord that he showed grace for you? Because I don't know about you, but I did not deserve it. And I do not deserve it. She understood that Boaz was from the Lord. And then Boaz says, after why have you found favor? Because of what she had done for her mother-in-law since the death of her husband. And here's the next point, the people. It says in the latter part of verse 11, she says, how you left your father and your mother in your native land and 
came to a people that you did not know before. She's not from these parts. You ever meet someone like that? You go, you ain't from these here parts, are you? She was not from these parts. She was not a Israelite. She was a Moabite. She was a Canaanite. The Moabites were part of uh, the land of Canaan, the ones that God had expressly told them to what? Rid the land of. But yet God is showing his amazing grace because here we are. As you walk through the book of Joshua, you see as the children of Israel go into the promised land, they cross the Jordan River. God gives them express orders as to how they are to carry themselves, what they are to do, how they are to rid the land. They are not faithful. They do not do all they are told to do. But ultimately, God will raise up a Moabite woman from Moab and place her in the lineage of Christ. Do you see how amazing grace is? How God's sovereign hand is the only explanation for this. There is no chance that this could have happened otherwise. She came to a people that she did not know before. And she would be brought in by faith as well. 1 Peter 2 says, As you come to him, be in Christ, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him, Christ, will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, speaking to you and I, even today, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. She is now being brought in. Notice what Boaz does. Boaz is now going to even bring her to the dinner table, or really more, lunch. It says that at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain. What a romantic gesture. Have you ever done that? Candlelight, he passed the roasted grain. But it was a romantic gesture. It was an incredible show because you gotta understand, Boaz is a very wealthy, well-to-do, established man. And here he is showing an incredible kindness and graciousness to Ruth. She has in, he has invited her to come and eat with his fellow servants. It says she ate until she was satisfied. You see, when Christ comes into our life, we are satisfied. We should be fully satisfied says when she got up, Boaz instructed his young men further to tell her to allow her to glean even among the sheaves. That she did not need to go along the edges anymore. She could come right in alongside others who were gathering in the harvest. That she would not only come in and, and work amongst them, but she would be able to gather enough to take some home. It said that as she gleaned in the field until evening. So she's in that field from, from sunrise to sunset. All day long, with the exception of this lunch and, and maybe a short break. 
And notice it says she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. Now, what is that? Well, that is at least an equivalent of 10 days' worth of food, which is probably more food than her and Naomi have had in quite some time. Further, it would have weighed anywhere from 30 to 50 pounds. So she would have gathered in this harvest and carried it all the way into town. Was it very far? Probably not, but if you were to walk from here to the, post, to the mailbox with 50 pounds on your back, um, we would be tapping out quickly. It says, She took it and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she also brought on and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. We see that she has been blessed. She has been brought into the family. When we come to faith in Christ, we are brought into the family of God. You see, that's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a time that, that we gather, that we have been invited to participate in. But it's only by invitation. It is by invitation to those who have trusted and by faith placed their faith alone in Christ alone. So we see this played out with the people. And the last thing is she is blessed literally beyond measure. She is blessed to be able to not only gather this food, to, to take care of herself, to take care of her mother-in-law, but it says that she will be able to stay in the fields, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. So the barley harvest was usually anywhere in, around the springtime. Uh, the wheat harvest was early summer. So she spent a, a number of months, probably at the very least four months, maybe longer, gleaning in the field, gathering the harvest, taking care of those around her. There's a great truth in taking care of family. She took care of her mother-in-law. When Naomi sees this, she says to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord, the person who has done this. She asked, who was this man that you work with today? And Ruth said, Boaz. Notice Naomi's reply in verse 20. He is this man. The man is a close relative of heirs. This just takes us back to understand even more how unfaithful Elimelech was, but how faithful God is. Elimelech was unfaithful. He had a close relative and that he is one of our redeemers. He is a picture of Christ. So the promise we see is going to be fulfilled ultimately in Christ. Wayne Grudem says that God's faithfulness means that God will always do what he has said and fulfill what he has promised. Through the very line of Ruth and Boaz will come King David and ultimately Christ. What's the ultimate promise? Galatians 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. God sent forth his son. God sent forth his son. Amen. Thank you, Bill. At least one person gets it. God sent forth his son for you and I, for those who would by faith trust in Christ born of woman born under the law for the purpose of what to redeem those who are under the law we couldn't do it we can't keep the law we cannot we have no righteousness on ourselves why so that we might receive adoption as sons 
And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. It is the most intimate term of endearment you can have for someone. In the Hebrew, that the idea of saying Abba, it is that, it is that hearing your child or your grandchild just fully, fully engrossed in you, so desiring to be with you, to sit with you, to spend time with you. It is because of God's Spirit within us sent forth by His Son that we cry out, Abba, Father, so that we are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Joel Beakey says this, The primary ground of assurance is rooted in the promises of God, but those promises must become increasingly real to the believer through the subjective evidences of grace and the eternal witness of the Holy Spirit. So now what? So let's look at really quick here. We're closing out with this. We see in Boaz what it is for a, how a godly man should act. One, we see Boaz integrates his faith and work. He is a hardworking man. He has an air day and time. He would have been uh, uh, the employer of a pretty large number of people. But notice what he does. First, he, he sits and eats with his workers. He doesn't view them as less than him. He doesn't uh, cast them aside. He's not sitting out in royalty. He's not separating. No, he's right at the table with them. He walks with the Lord at work. Notice what they say to him. When he walks up, he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answer, what? The Lord bless you. So these reapers, these men and women who, who worked for Boaz, they recognize this is a man of great respect and honor. He had earned it by the way that he lived his life. Notice he provides for those around him. He allowed Ruth to come and glean. So he obeyed scripture because he knew scripturally that God had set that in motion. Many did not follow this. But Boaz did. And not only did he allow Ruth to glean along the edges to, to gather in, but then he would allow her to come and he would allow her to be part of the great harvest. You see, when Christ calls us to himself, we, we are part of this great harvest. And we all of a sudden have the privileges of, of adopted sons. You know, if you are adopted, you legally have the same right standing as a natural born child. We stand before the Lord with all the privileges. Notice Boaz speaks words of dignity and respect. He tells Ruth to go and to gather water from where the men get their water using these vessels. He honors her. He prays for her. He speaks kindly to her. And he urges the men to, to look out for her, to protect her, to, to not take advantage of her. Men, that's what you do. If you see a woman being taken advantage of, you step into the situation. Don't run from it. We have enough cowards in our country. We don't need any more in churches. Step up, not out. Be a Boaz. He protects the vulnerable. We see he is passive, not abusive. His passivity, though, is, is, is not one to be taken light of. He reflects 
the word of God, he reflects the very strength of Christ. He practices hospitality. He takes the time during lunch to pass the chips and salsa. He allows Ruth to dip first. He shows his hospitality in inviting and preparing this meal. He has an active conversation. Understand this, when you preach these things, the first person that has to be preached to is the person up here. So understand thing. And I know this is an area I still have to work on. He's not distracted at the table. That hurt me. He's welcoming to others. He shows them grace. And he even next, he even goes beyond the letter of the law by displaying kindness, which as we know is grace, a seed, and generosity. We'll see more of this in the coming weeks. And the last thing is we see he walks humbly with the Lord. No wonder he and Ruth will ultimately make such a great match. I would argue that you could literally say a match made in heaven. Amen? Because <laughs> God brought forth Ruth to that field. God had orchestrated that Boaz would just happen to be in this field out of who knows how many fields spread across the countryside at the day that Ruth's out there gleaning on the edges. Really? You can't make this stuff up. Both, though, were humble Ruth, I mean, Boaz saw in Ruth someone who was humbled, someone who was gracious. We see in Christ these attributes. Boaz is a picture of Christ. Boaz is a picture that as men we should look to. For Boaz will ultimately, as we see in the coming weeks, he will purchase Ruth we were purchased we were bought with a price Jesus is the Lamb of God Boaz will take on Ruth and Naomi and bring them on and be responsible for them that's what men do men are responsible for others not taking away but demonstrating responsibility we have been, according to 1 Peter, we have been redeemed not with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. We must trust in Christ alone. You see, this is all showing us, and, and it will lead up to this magnificent marriage. But see, marriage is God's deal. Marriage is God's idea. Marriage is God's plan. God is the one who brings together man and woman. Why do you think we say at the end of every service I ever do what? God has brought together, let not man asunder, let not man take apart. The problem is there's too many relationships that God's not the one who's bringing them together. And if God is not bringing you together, and I don't care whether you're 14 or, or 414, all right? I've seen, I've seen older men and women as dumb as younger ones, maybe more desperate at times. Let God be the one who brings you the person God has intended. Stop stepping out ahead of the Lord because God will give you what you want, but it may not be what he wants. And it is most likely not going to be what you need. And so we must have more Christian fathers who actually step up into this area. We see one instance after another. We must lead well. We must lead from the front. 
I said last week, I'll say it again, marriage is the second most important thing you'll ever do ex with the exception of who you will worship. And if you worship God, if you worship Jesus, then who you associate with, who you date, who you marry, says far more about your relationship to Christ than anything else should do. We, we, men, wake up. You're accountable. It will not be God who calls forth your wife. He will ask you face to face in your presence. What were you doing? We're responsible. We must be looking for the Boaz. We must lead like Boaz. It's not easy. It's hard. But if we are going to be committed to Christ, there is no other option. Christ has done everything for us. He is the one who redeems us. He is the one who calls us. He is the one orchestrating all our steps. And he is the one who deserves all praise and glory. Father, we thank you for your precious son, Jesus. God, we thank you that, God, you, even looking down through history, would know every moment we would be sitting at and in. That, God, there's not a single moment in time that has ever caught you off guard, that has ever caused you to even blink father you are sovereign over all creation and that means this very moment and father we just desire to honor you but one of the great ways we honor you is through the sanctity of marriage father is a picture of the gospel which means it can just as easily distort the gospel when it is not the picture it should be and god that means we got to do a lot more on the front end we wouldn't have to deal as much on the back end if we would just put a lot more effort on the front end. And that starts with men. That starts with dads, Christian men, leading, setting an example, showing as best we can through our sinfulness, through our faults, the best we can what a godly man should be and do. And if we see ungodly men near our house, we must run them away because we serve a mighty king and you and you alone are worthy. So Father, will you just draw us near to you? Will you just remind us that, God, you have a lot of Boazes in the world. You have a lot of them. And you will bring them forth in your time and in your place. And that we just need to be faithful and wait and not get ahead of you, but trust that you have our best interests, that you love us unconditionally, that you sent forth your son in the fullness of time. God, we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.